Welcome back to the Hour View Podcast. On today's episode, I welcome my guest, Dr. Kevin Payne. Kevin joins me today to continue my series of podcast episodes about living life with multiple sclerosis. I am very happy to share this conversation with you. And Kevin and I share a few laughs about his many skydiving jumps. I hope you enjoy this conversation. This episode of the Our View podcast is sponsored by Mysterious Miracles, a nonprofit organization in Colorado that empowers the people of Colorado who are living with multiple sclerosis to thrive in their new normal by providing access to medical services and resources, assistance with acquiring personal mobility aids, and home retrofitting. To access these services or to find out more about Mysterious Miracles and to donate to the nonprofit, visit their website at www.mysteriousmiracles.org, their Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash msadultprom, or email team at mysteriousmiracles.org. Mysterious is spelled M-S-T-E-R-I-O-U-S. I would like to welcome everyone back to another episode of the Our View podcast, where we aim to educate, raise awareness, and change the tone of conversation about disabilities. I am very happy and grateful to welcome my guest, Dr. Kevin Payne, to the podcast today. Uh, Kevin, thank you so much for joining me uh, on today's episode. Well, thank you, Arthur. I am so glad to be here. Yes. So I am... um, I'm part of a group on uh, Facebook that is a find a guest, be a guest on uh, a, a, on podcast. So uh, I made a post on there and uh, you connected with me through that. And we um, have been communicating for the last few weeks and setting up this interview and um, this conversation. And I just, uh, I'm excited for you to share your uh, story with everyone. And uh, to start off, can you share with us who you are? Can you tell us some fun things um, about yourself? Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll hit the uh, highlights. Yes. <laughs> so um, I'm egregiously overeducated. I've got a doctorate in sociology and psychology, and I spent 15 years as a professor and left doing that about 10 years ago now uh, to become a tech entrepreneur. And I've, I've been a geek since like the 70s. I mean, I'm, 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 I'm such a geek that I still have stacks of punch cards in a box downstairs. So I mean, hacking into the old ARPANET before it was the internet. That's I, my geek cred goes way back. So, so I've been doing that. And, and my most recent venture is Your Life Lived Well. And it directly comes out of my experience with decades of multiple sclerosis and as a caregiver as well. And so uh, I, I have had just about everything about my life turned upside down by this condition. And I, I have come to places in my life where I didn't know whether I could figure out a way forward into a life that I still cared about. And, and I knew that if I would come to those circumstances who in the larger scheme of things have a lot of privilege and 
have a lot of education about people. I've got a PhD in people, so you know I know all about the the cognitive and emotional and behavioral and social consequences of living with a chronic condition. You know, living with air quotes disability and. I came to the place where I knew that I had to build something positive out of all of that experience filtered through all of that education. Because when we get diagnosed with something and, and you know, some of us have lived with it all of our lives and some of us get it later in life uh, kind of as a surprise <laughs> and we tend to focus and the system tends to focus and the people around us tend to focus on just that diagnosis, that list of medical signs and symptoms. And people tend to forget that, yes, that's where it starts. But because of that dysfunction, there are effects that cascade through every part of our lives. And, and we must adapt to a world that is patently not built for the kinds of challenges that we have to face day in and day out. So as a social and behavioral scientist, I wanted to contribute to that part of the conversation and say, wait a minute, look, there's so much more going on here. And, and we have to understand that there are issues all the way from individuals to institutions that have to be addressed. And, and so that was really important to me. And then probably the third thing that people might find interesting is that I am someone who enthusiastically flings my body from airplanes <laughs> at, at, at every possible opportunity. So I had, I had wanted to be a skydiver from the time I was a little kid back in the 70s and was just enamored with the idea. In the 90s, I started the training and got a handful of jumps in. And then a lot of life got in the way. And then it was health. And it was one of those things that often living with a, a health condition that's not going to go away becomes this long, sad process of saying goodbye to the things that we loved about our life, the things that we dreamed about our life. And I had one of those moments where I was, I was mowing the lawn. And this is, you know, 10, 12 years ago now. I was mowing the lawn and I was trying to be respectful of my limitations because uh, as with many who have multiple sclerosis, I have heat sensitivity. So if I get too overheated, and I also have cold sensitivity too, so if I get too cold, it can trigger some of my symptoms. And in the case of heat sensitivity, what happens is I, I start losing all the feeling. So normally I don't have feeling below my knees. And, uh, I, you know, I, uh, and, and so I, my body starts becoming more numb. And so I was, I was trying to be careful and overheated myself. And it was so bad this time that the pain just became overwhelming. Felt like I was being stung by a horde of electric hornets. 
and my body seized up, you know, I became spastic and I toppled over and passed out right there in the middle of the front yard in, in East suburbia. Right. And, and I passed out and it couldn't have been more than a minute or so. And I, and I kind of wake up and I'm paralyzed still on the ground, looking up at this beautiful blue sky. And, and this errant thought just kind of wafted through my head like a cloud. It's a beautiful day for skydiving. And then I, I laughed at myself and thought, man, I am paralyzed here in the ground. I am never going to get up in the sky again. And I gave up. And then a few, you know, then, then a few years later, my son, who was then a teenager, told me one day, dad, you really suck at doing things for yourself. And it's true. I had gotten really bad about caring for myself because I was so concerned with supporting his mother through her cancer and keeping a roof over our heads as a single income family of four and doing all those things. And my condition was getting worse and worse and worse. So in 2019, I said to myself, I'm going to figure out a way to go back and become a legit skydiver. And and we can get into this later, but it was a quite an odyssey to get there. But but now I'm I'm over 600 jumps and have all the licenses and a coach rating, and you know I didn't think it was something that I was going to be able to do. Wow, I I love so much of what you said. One of the things that really um, sticks out is that um, you know saying that. When you when you're diagnosed with a, a disability or some kind of any type of condition, um, the focus is on just that one part that that the condition and how that will uh, and, and the ways that it will impact other parts of your life are often neglected and, and not talked about. So I, I really uh, that that when you said that I was like wow like that's so true. <laughs> uh, I think about myself and. Um, just how I was, I was born with my disability and how my diagnosis impact my entire family, my parents who were married, my older sister, and just how it, it just, you know, it impacts all areas of your life. And it's not just uh, the one person who is impacted by it and um, parts of their life, but it, it does impact everyone in the family. And uh, as, as we were uh, talking before, uh, we started recording, I uh, shared with you the parts of uh, the story, part of your story that uh, struck me the most was the skydiving part. I, I've always been interested in it. We used to live in an area uh, of New Jersey where we would see uh, people skydiving, you know, quite often and it would be like so exciting to see like, oh my gosh, they're skydiving again. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, but it's one of those things where it was just like, it looks very exciting and it's just not for me all at the same time. <laughs> but well, I, well, I always, people always ask me, you know, should I try skydiving? And I say, well, should you? And, and it's one of those things where, where I say, you know, ask yourself the question and whatever answer you give yourself, whatever that first answer is, this is one of those things that you can trust your gut. Either, either you're going to say, yeah, I need to do that, or no, that's not for me, and right. go with it. Right, and you stick know? with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
So um, when you were when you were talking, uh, you mentioned that you were diagnosed with multiple sclerosis, and uh, this episode will be airing in March, which is Multiple Sclerosis Awareness Month. Um, so can you share with us, um, you know, the process? I, I know it, it took some years for it to be properly diagnosed uh, for you. Mm -hmm. So can you share with us um, some parts of your story of how it came to be a multiple, a multiple sclerosis diagnosis? Sure. Uh, so like many with MS, I have kind of a long, colorful backstory getting to uh, understanding what it was that was going on with me. So for those who don't know, multiple sclerosis is a neurodegenerative autoimmune condition. And what it means is our autoimmune system has gotten confused. You know, our immune system is confused and it started attacking the myelin, which is that fatty tissue around our neurons in our brain, our spinal cord. And that's really important to understand because what it means is everything that we think or feel or do or say passes through our central nervous system. So the symptoms can be pretty much anything with multiple sclerosis because it, the symptoms depend on which parts of our brain and spinal cord get attacked. And, and so we think about it as, you know, in the popular culture as, oh, that's one of those that put you in a wheelchair. And it's like, okay, yeah, with, with some cases of multiple sclerosis, that's gonna happen. It happens with fewer of us now because treatments have gotten better. But <clears throat> some of my most significant symptoms are cognitive and emotional. And, and so I first became symptomatic back, way back in 1989 when I was in college. And at that time, it was, it was just toward the end of the year there. And I suddenly, I started having these weird eye cicades. So that's where you're, it feels like your eyes are stuttering. So you'll look at something and they'll just like flash back and forth. And, and, and my balance started going weird. I started having balance and vertigo issues. And I started feeling really fatigued. And I was confused cognitively in a way that I'd never experienced before. And I got really down about it. And I you know, probably was depressed about this because suddenly these, this was very weird. So after, two or three months of this, I went to the university physician and the university physician probably fixated on the most likely thing he was expecting from a kid in a demanding academic program. And he said, oh, you're depressed. And he, and he sent me on to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist confirmed, yes, this is major depression. And he gave me some drugs and the drugs didn't work. And we tried another drugs and they didn't work. We tried some more drugs, they didn't work. And finally, my condition was tagged as treatment resistant, which of course is fancy medical speak for we're throwing up our hands and you're on your own. <laughs> so I was like, okay, what did I know? I was a kid, you know, I was, I was 20. And, 
I, I, I just, in a few months, I started feeling like myself again because relapsing, remitting MS comes and goes, especially in the early stages. So I went on with my life. And then a couple of years later, I had another weird spell. And I thought, oh, it's just the depression coming back, even though a lot of these symptoms didn't have anything to do with depression. Some of them did. And, and you know, it was kind of an overlap there. And I thought, well, depression runs in my family. So, okay, that's what I'm dealing with. And then I was back to normal again. And then a few years later, it happened again. And I got really depressed this time. And I gained 120 pounds. And, you know, over a span of two years. And, and then... And then lost it again over the next two years as I felt better. And then finally, one day in 2002, I woke up one morning and I had a different set of symptoms. And I couldn't feel my left leg below my knee. It's completely numb. And I thought I had overdone my workout the day before and pinched a nerve and didn't really think about it. And a few days later, my leg was back. And this, you know, came and went and came and went for a while. And then it was different body parts. And then finally, one morning I woke up and I could feel my right arm and my head, but the rest of my body had disappeared. And finally, at that point, my then wife said, you're going to get this looked at. So I did. Merriment ensued. At first, they said, you'll be glad to know this is not multiple sclerosis. And I was like, because that was the biggest, baddest, stickiest thing of, of all the options they were considering. And then we got some better tests back and they were like, oh, I'm so sorry, it's MS. And there's no doubt about it. And it's been in your system for a long time. So, <laughs> surprise. Yeah, that is, um, as, as you said, that is um, a common thing that you hear among people who are diagnosed with MS, that it takes a while to diagnose and they're misdiagnosed for months and years and you know at a time and it's just um that's it's very frustrating and um you know other people I've I've talked to described it as you know it's scary but and and also at the same time a relief to have a diagnosis and know therefore you know how to properly treat what you're treating and and what you're uh you know what you're looking for uh you know to happen in the future but it's uh you know to take that long for uh for them to come up with a proper diagnosis I, that that had to be rough i'm sure well i mean you know part of it i yes we can we can kind of uh, dog on the medical system some for this because there's no doubt i was misdiagnosed and and, and it went on for a long time however i was also a, a typical young male still cloaked in my illusion of invulnerability and kind of clueless. And so I probably did not, well, no, probably about it. I did not frame it as a medical problem. I just thought, oh, there's some weird stuff going on, no big deal. And, and so I did not kind of tenaciously pursue medical treatment in the ways I should have. So 
you know, some of this is on me as well. Um, but, but as you said, it is without a doubt a relief to get a name for all the weirdness. Mm-hmm. And, and certainly, you know, with my MS, I've got MS is a snowflake disease mm-hmm. and because no two cases are alike because we get attacked in different parts of our brain and spinal cord. And so uh, for me, you know, there's, there's a list of constant symptoms. So I'm always in pain. I'm always medically fatigued. I'm always confused cognitively and, you know, foggy in ways that, that I hadn't been before. And I always have numbness and parathesias, you know, phantom feelings that aren't there. Uh, and, and, and that's kind of like the baseline for me. And then there's another 30 symptoms. And no kidding, I, I made an infographic out of it mm-hmm. for myself. <laughs> but there are another 30 symptoms or so that come and go. And so some of them are, are like leg spasticity and, and vertigo and balance issues and things like that. But, you know, they're also labile emotions. Sometimes my emotions are just wildly all over the place, not for any rational reason. And so it's a grab bag of things. And it's and because it they come and go to degree, it's really difficult for people around me to understand what's going on with my internal weather. They're like, I saw you doing that just yesterday. And I'm like, yeah, I, yesterday I could do that. Right now, my body's not going to, you know, it's, it's not cooperating with me. And you should be in here so you understood what it's like because it's, it's scary. And, and you know this, and probably everyone listening to this knows this, that, that when you have a condition like this, many people will be like me. And, and I had the thing that I feared most in the world jammed into my body with me and I can't get away from it. And, and with our acute stress response, with our quote unquote fright or flight response, there's a lot more to it than that. Uh, we, all of our systems, all of our physical systems of safety, our cognitive systems of safety, our emotional systems of safety, our social systems of safety are built around the idea of getting distant from the scary thing somehow. But with our conditions, we can't. And that's one of the reasons why it doesn't end with just the medical diagnosis. Because we have to figure out ways to build good lives even in the face of something that's really sucky that we can't get away from, that we always have to accommodate in some way. Wow, that was great. (laughs) Wow. (laughs) Yes, because you, you know, we do, we have to still, like you said, live our lives with this condition uh, with this diagnosis uh, that whatever it is that we may have um, and still try to get through every day with it um, and get, you know, maintain a job and 
um, our family duties and, and whatever else it is that we have going on in our lives. And as you said with, you know, somebody saying like, oh, well, I saw you doing this yesterday. Like what, you know, how did it change so, so fast or how quick it, it changes? And it's like, it's just that it changes very quickly, <laughs> you know, from day to day yeah. or from moment to moment sometimes. <laughs> Mm -hmm. um, welcome to my world right exactly and it's just to be uh you know to, to be understanding of that and to have an understanding of that it, it can be difficult when it's not uh when it's not you who it's it's happening to so it's uh you know it's really i'm glad that you you shared that uh with everybody you know you i mean <clears throat> this is so crucial because the people around us really don't understand the ways that we have to try to accommodate. And, and there is, there is this sense that we live with that when we're feeling okay, we're trying to get as much out of life as we possibly can, because we know that maybe without warning, the door's going to shut again. Mm -hmm. And we're going to be forced to be sitting on the sidelines. And, and it's not that we want everybody else's lives to stop. We just want other people to understand that we've got this whole set of circumstances that even if we have an outward sign of our disability, it is like an iceberg. And there is so much more going on that, that is cognitive, emotional, behavioral, social, you know, how operational, how we're trying to make our way in a world that is not designed for us. And, and there are all those layers and, and how we are trying to navigate a place for ourselves in a culture where we are largely invisible, or if we're not invisible, we are the token you know, gimp of the week for whatever it is that is going on. And, and all of that is frustrating. Mm -hmm. Definitely it is. Um, and I, I, um, as I said, we have talked and, and I've read, you know, all of your uh, story and through all of this with, uh, arriving at a diagnosis of MS and uh, being a caregiver, as you said, um, you developed your life lived well. Um, can you share with us what that is and um, just exactly what, um, you know, what your mission and your goal is for uh, creating that? Sure, it's, it's, a, it's a book with a snazzy cover picture which yeah. we might want to talk about later. <laughs> yes. Uh, and, and a podcast and classes and, and other materials and, and about a year from now, an app uh, that, that helps support people whose lives have been touched by illnesses that are never going to go away. And, and by that, I mean not just those of us with a diagnosis, but our loved ones and caregivers uh, who sometimes get lost and feel confused and frustrated as well, and medical health and wellness professionals who are largely trained according to an acute care model. And with an acute care model, the whole idea is 
we're going to identify a medical problem. We're going to then use medicine or surgery or some other kind of medical procedure to solve it. And then we're going to send you back to a quote unquote normal life. <clears throat> well, that's great if you get a broken arm or a case of the flu, but it doesn't work for us. And over half of all Americans now live with a health condition that's never going to go away. That's just mind boggling when you think about it. It is, it is now normal statistically to have a health condition that is never going to go away. And, and so for me, you know, I'm not a medical doctor, I'm a social behavioral scientist. So, so I looked around and I was like, nobody ever talked about this stuff when I was diagnosed. Nobody ever talked about this stuff when my then wife was diagnosed. There's, there's, there's not enough people having the conversation that this is a life condition and we have to adapt accordingly. And the people around us have to adapt accordingly. And we've got to agitate and maybe sometimes get up on the barricades to demand that our social and cognitive, you know, social and cultural and, 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 and uh, institutional environment adapts accordingly as well. And, and so those were all things that I could speak to. And, and, and so for me, if you've got a medical condition that you are stuck with, you still have just this one life and you still have to live it well. And we still all are looking for ways to actively choose life and not get forced into the sidelines and be good little whatever they want us to be. You know, it's, it's like, I don't, I don't react well to being classified as an MS patient. I don't react well to being classified as someone who is suffering from MS. <laughs> I, I'm a guy who does all these other things. Oh yeah, and I happen to be living with multiple sclerosis. Yes. And, and that is crucial. It is <sighs> crucial that each of us sees ourselves in that way and that the other people around us see us in that way and that the system treats us in that way. So for me, it was very deliberate. Choosing the name Your Life Lived Well. First, it's about your life. And, and that means there's no one solution. I can't stand up here and say, these are the tips, tricks, whatever it is that you need to do to improve your quality of life. But what I can say is that Here's a better way of understanding what it means to be human and what it means to be human under difficult circumstances that aren't going to get better. And using that knowledge, I can help you learn for yourself how to make more effective decisions for your own life. Because any one solution that works for you now to improve your quality of life probably isn't going to work in six months or six years. 
because you're going to change and your environment's going to change and your condition's going to change. So we needed a kind of education that we weren't getting. And I spent 15 years as a professor. So this was stuff that, that I knew intimately and I had all this experience. So I went out, I talked to, you know, I interviewed thousands. I, I, I interviewed hundreds, I surveyed thousands. I, I brought in thousands of studies, did meta-analyses to build this. So that's the your life part. And then the lived well, and it's active. It's about living. And even though we are sick, we can still live well. We can still have a good quality of life. And we may have some kind of condition that quote unquote disables us. And, and I am wildly ambivalent about the term disabled. I think it's crucial that we acknowledge it and that we have it because it provides this cultural validity and it provides a space and, and it allows us to get access to certain things that we need. But humans cognitively tend to, we tend to think in terms of us and them, and we tend to have all these, these cognitive biases. And, and so we think healthy and disabled are these categories that are really distant from one another. And they're not, it's a continuum. And they're, most people who classify themselves as healthy are not really that healthy and they're not doing a real good job of it. I mean, let's face it, Americans are not doing a real good job of this in general. But if we are quote unquote disabled in some way, we don't just get relegated off to the side. That doesn't mean that we still don't have all kinds of other capacities, right? We may have a particular physical or cognitive or emotional limitation. But if we think creatively about it, we can often overcome that, like I had to do with skydiving. Because, you know, for, for skydiving, leg awareness is like really, really important. Because if your legs are out of kilter, then you start spinning and tumbling through the sky and it looks crazy, right? And and if you if you've seen the movie Captain Marvel where she comes back to earth toward the end and she's just like flailing out of control <laughs> in the sky. That was me. I totally, I've got it on video. I, that was me. And, and I had to figure out how to fly stably, even though I couldn't feel my legs. And, and what did I do? I, I had a lot of people to help me. We, we did a lot of work in the tunnel you know, in the vertical wind tunnel uh -huh. so that somebody could be right there holding my leg. And even though I couldn't feel my legs below my knees, I learned to understand what the tension in the tendons behind my knee felt like because I could get those feelings. So I knew what was going on with the rest of my leg because I, I learned the feelings in my thighs. And that, you know, that was like, had to be really creative. I had to learn how to stand up a landing when I couldn't tell whether my feet had touched the ground because I learned to feel the pressure at my knees. Mm. So normally it takes 25 jumps to get your first license in skydiving. It took me 47. But being creative with a lot of help and a lot of support, and, and I was able to do that. and. And what 
I want to get across to people is that all of us who who are living with some kind of condition, some kind of disability, have so much untapped potential. We just need to see it differently. <laughs> and we need others to see us differently, to see our humanity first and not a diagnosis. Yes, that is, I, and I love what you said a few minutes ago about, um, you know, you don't like when, you know, when they say you're suffering with a diagnosis, it's, you know, because you are, we all are so many parts and pieces and we have so many things that we do. And, and yeah, I live with spina bifida. I'm not suffering with it. I have good days and bad days, just like everybody else. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> some days are great mm -hmm. and some days are not so great. You know, I, I live in New Jersey. It's the middle of winter. We had uh, six or seven inches of snow over the weekend. And, you know, your my apartment gets a little drafty sometimes. So my muscles tighten up and, you know, so it hasn't been such a great few days. But thank goodness there's, a, a, you know, heaters and things. So <laughs> I just warm myself up and, uh Again, I, it's not that I'm suffering with spina bifida, I'm living with it and I'm figuring out the best way to live my life for me, as you said, uh, with the title of uh, your life, you know, it's, it's an individual thing. So what I yeah. choose and how I choose to do things and what works for me may not work for the next person who has spina bifida or another diagnosis, but it works for me. And uh, I just, I love the title of that. and. Um, before we wrap up, can you share with us where people can um, find your book, where they can purchase your book and um, any classes or anything that you're you know, running? Yeah, they can. I've tried to make it really easy for everybody. Just go to yourlifelivedwell.co and you can get information on the book. You can even get a big chunk of it for free so you can look at it and see if it's going to be something you're interested in. Uh, there's a calendar for all the upcoming classes that we've got a whole new set of classes that are starting uh, here in February so that uh, they will be going by the time this appears in March. Uh, and there's the Your Life Lived Well podcast, which is informational. Uh, and, and it's about dealing with these often unspoken issues uh, that we deal with, with uh, these conditions that aren't going away, and you know all the other stuff that that I'm up to with your life lived well. So if they go there, and then they can also find the social media links, so they can get in touch with us uh, through Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn, and you know we're here, and and we want to hear from everybody who's dealing yes. with this stuff because. Uh, the more of us who represent, the better it's going to be for everybody. And, and I understand that, that some people are not in life positions where they feel like they can be completely open about what they're dealing with, but, but I am. And so I have a responsibility to be loud and proud about it. And, and I am so thankful for others like you, Arthur, who feel that same way. 
Yes, absolutely. I, again, it's, it's not for everybody and not everybody feels that way, but you know, for me, I love, um, I love being able to share my own story and my experiences and how, again, how it might not work for people, but to share how I get through things, how I manage my day-to-day -day life. Um, and I'm, I'm so, again, like you said, I'm, I'm grateful for people like yourself who, you know, you turned your situation into something that can be beneficial and helpful to other people. So it's uh, to share that knowledge with other people, I think is um, something so great that is, uh, again, it's like you didn't, you didn't just keep it for yourself. So that is, uh, <laughs> you know, that's, that's really great and really, uh, you know, it's just a really, really good thing. So I thank You're very you. Kind. Yeah, I thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, you were, this was a great episode and, and I have, um, been really uplifted and encouraged by it um, for sure. And I know people who are listening will be as well. And I am uh, grateful for your time today. And I look forward to, um, you know, collaborating and working with you again in the future. <laughs> Thank you so much, Arthur, and, and keep up the good work. Thank you so much. And I will uh, definitely be in touch. <laughs> Thanks for tuning in to today's episode. I want to make sure that this podcast is as interactive as possible. So if you have any questions or any topics you would like for me to address in an upcoming episode, be sure to follow me on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube at Our View for Life. That's O-U-R-V-I-E-W, the number four, L-I-F-E. You can also email me, ourviewforlife at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.